Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. All right, are y'all ready for the Bible today? Uh, I want to read to you 1 John uh, 3.1, which says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. I love that. What great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship today. Father, we love you. You are, just like that song we sing, a good, good Father. And we worship you today. It's our honor to call you Father, call you Dad, to honor you in our lives. And today, we honor who you are, and we're so thankful for your love for us. We open up our hearts and we ask, God, that you would just let your word uh, be sown in us. Let your Holy Spirit teach us. Lord, speak to every single person in the room. We love you and we worship you. And I just pray for the leading, the empowerment of your spirit, God, to impart what you've uh, put on my heart today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, you, you know, we, um, we need fathers. Fathers are God's idea. And uh, God is a father. He is the ultimate father. And he created earthly fathers because they're an important part of family. And family is like the building block of society. You know, God's model was very simple and very uh, profound, and it hasn't changed. He took a man and he took a woman. They had names, Adam and Eve. And he had them marry. And they became a family in that moment. And then they procreated, they had more family and more children. Just such a simple building block that God has been using for centuries. He uses family after family after family to create society. And, you know, there are so many things that war against the structure of the family, uh, the experience of family. And, you know, even on Father's Day, I, I don't always preach on fathers on Father's Day. One of the things that I'm sensitive to is on Father's Day or Mother's Day, is that it's not always an easy day for everyone. For many people, there's, there can be a mixed bag experience. For some people, it's a great day. For others, it's a very difficult day. Whether you've lost a dad, whether you've had um, a father wound in your own heart, where maybe there's a, a disappointment or something like that that has really hurt your heart in the realm of father. And I think on days like this, the Holy Spirit is the perfect surgeon who knows exactly how to handle each one of our hearts. Amen? And the thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to avoid a subject in Scripture that is meant to be, give, be life-giving, even though it's maybe an area of pain, right? And so even as I'm preaching today, I know that my heart for you is that whatever you need from your Father in heaven, that He's going to provide it for you, right? And so if you've had a tough experience with Dad, um, God is able to fill in the gaps. Amen? Maybe you miss your dad. He is a father to the fatherless. 
Maybe as a dad, you're struggling and on the in heart, inside, maybe your inner critic and the voice inside there just says you're, you're, not, cutting or you're not good enough. Well, I got to tell you that God can empower you to be a wonderful dad. You can, you'll never be a perfect dad, but you can be the dad that God has called you to be. As a matter of fact, it's not your job as dad to take the father's role. It's just to be as good a dad as God empowers you to be. Amen? And you allow him to, to carry the rest. Even, you know, moms and dads, like, we have a temporary assignment. Some of you are elated to hear that, and some of you are shocked to hear that. Um, but, you know, you're, you, have a, you have a role that's temporary. And what I mean temporary is I mean from an earthly standpoint. Our role as mom or dad changes throughout the seasons of our children's lives. And if you don't, haven't recognized that, come talk to me. We need to, we need to talk about that. But uh, it, it changes throughout the seasons of life. And maybe you've misstepped in some areas and not been the fa- father or the mother that you felt like you needed to be. Well, today is the day to just be who God has called you to be and to allow your Father in heaven, who he is, to create in you a pattern of who you are to be. Amen? Because I'm, I'm here to tell you that we're all moving forward, right? And God has the provision that you need. He is there for you. He understands and he is a good father. So today I want to go into 1 Thessalonians 2 with you. And my heart for us today is that we see a picture of who our father in heaven is. And that we also uh, see a model of how God wants us to operate as earthly fathers. No one's walking around with a test today. No one's going to shame you today. But all of us have this opportunity to just walk in what God has created us to be and to allow him to help us and empower us. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care what your past is, God has got your future in store. I don't care what your experience is, and I don't mean to diminish that. I'm just saying that that experience is not more powerful than our God. I don't mean to to diminish what you've experienced. I mean to make God bigger and for us to recognize we have a great and a powerful God. And Father is a good word. It's his word before it's our word. Amen? In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, it says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. The context of this scripture is Paul is describing his apostolic relationship to this church in Thessalonica. And the way that he's describing his apostolic relationship with them is that he is as a father to the church. And he's appealing to them and their understanding of what a father should do. And of course, where would he get this definition of what a father should be? From our father in heaven. And he uses these three words. And I want to dive into these three words with you this morning. He says, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, would you say encouraging? Encouraging. Comforting, would you say comforting? Comforting. And urging, would you say urging? I love these three words and I did some study on them and want to share them with you. This word encouraging is the word picture of a father urging, exhorting, encouraging their child. Um, Because of the the particular word that is used, it's, it's as if like a coach 
or to call someone over off the sideline, if you will, and put them beside. There's this concept of alongside. It's like the Father brings you alongside to speak life into you, right? And don't we all need that in the, the game of life, those moments where it's like the Father says, come here, come here, I've got some words of life, some words of encouragement. I want to tell you that you've got this. I want to tell you that in me, the Lord says you are capable and that you can take this mountain, that you can uh, continue forward, that you have what you need. We all need to hear words of life and words of encouragement. One of the challenges and one of the wounds sometimes that we, have, we carry in our lives are the words that somebody has spoken or the words that somebody has not spoken in our lives and the power that those words can have. But just like I said before, his word is more powerful than that word. Do you hear that today? His word is more powerful than that word. And what God can do is he can take that word and we... Uh, we used to have what, what we called whiteout back in the day. That was before the delete button. And you, uh, wow. Dad jokes. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I'll be here for about 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but whiteout was a way of being able to erase what was written and take away. And what God wants to do is he wants to take away the power of what was said he also wants to take away the power of what was not said. And the reality is we all need words of life, right? I know one of the challenges as, as when we're parenting our children is that we see everything that is wrong with our kids because they're our kids, unless someone else talks bad about them and then it's like, oh, it's on, right? Um, but, you know, we see all those things and we speak to so many things in the day-to-day -day life of raising our children. But moms and dads, we have got to remember to speak words of life. We've got to remember that we need to tell our kids, I am proud of you. We need to find ways of encouraging and speaking life over our children so that they have something to walk in. Because I tell you what, you tell a kid they believe it, man, their chest goes out and they feel like they can run through a wall. I know sometimes I watch some kids play and like the stunts and the things that they do. And I'm like, God, thank you for making them small. You're limiting the risk here right, of how far they can fall and all those kinds of things. And, and um, you know, the reality is that our God has exactly what we need and the words that we need. And if you need a word, I want to encourage you, open up Scripture because there is a good word in there for you. Your Father loves you. Your Father cares about you. And He knows everything that's wrong with you. He already knows. And yes, he will spend your lifetime sanctifying you. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, about this process of being changed bit by bit and God transforming us. But he loves you and he is not going to remove his love for you. And we need to be parents who speak words of life. Our father believes in us and our kids need to know that we believe in them, that they are that God created them, that they are capable, and they are competent. So he uses the word encouraging. He uses the word comforting. Now, comforting is this word to console or 
to cheer up. It's a, it's a very different flavor than encouragement. It's interesting that you use two different words. One encouraging, it's almost like that life-giving, you've got this. And comforting is that kind of like, you know, when we hit the wall with our face, our Heavenly Father there is there to pick us up and, and brush us off. And he probably goes, yeah, I saw that coming actually. Um, but, you know, but he still comforts us. And you remember as a little one, or maybe you had a little one, there's nothing like that hug after you hit the pavement. You scrape your knee, you bruise your face, that hug and that affirmation, and of course, you got to kiss the boo-boo, right? Whoever started that? It's like, that's kind of gross, but you know, it's all right. But you know, God is there to bring comfort, not to bring us pity, but to bring us comfort and to put us back on our feet and say, you've got this. And some of us dads need to hear that it's masculine to comfort. How'd I get that? I got that from Scripture. I just got that from Scripture. As a father encourages and comforts. That means, uh, fathers, if our definition of masculinity is, well, no, I only do the tough love thing, and I only do that kind of thing, it's like, well, you're making stuff up because that's not Scripture. And I want to be the kind of man that Scripture calls me to be. And I'm, you know, let's be man enough to comfort our kids, right? To put our arms around them and to tell them that we love them and and to be there for them. And he uses this third word, urging you to live lives worthy of God. Urging. Urging is to to assert or to invoke or to implore. And it's, it's, it's speaking life. You are a child of God of the Most High. Let your life testify to that fact. Like it's, it's speaking, if you will, identity over your child and saying, you know what? You are an important part of our family. And you, uh, you have a value to bring this, this world. And there's already an honor and a name on your life. And in, in, as children of God, it's his name that is on our life, Right? I know um, one of the things for me, you know, when it comes to that concept of urging our kids on to live a life, this one, it takes some some finesse and some willing and some wisdom because there could be too much urging and there could be too little urging. And I'm going to unpack that for you in just a moment. I remember when my kids were growing up and um, when they got in like the biggest trouble that they could get in, any one of them, um, and they were in their room. Typically, I would have them go to the room because I was a processor. I was like, I need to think about this. Like, how are we going to handle this? And Elizabeth and I would talk and that kind of thing. And I would go in the room. But when they really did something really rotten, I'm not going to tell you what they did, but something really bad and, you know, egregious, if you will. One of the things I was really intentional of saying when I was in their room was, you are a good boy or you are a good girl. Because what I didn't want was the enemy's voice to come in and tell them, you're a rotten kid. You're a bad kid. Because the enemy, from experience, he will say those things and he will lodge those things in us. And in the midst of the worst thing, and it's probably one of the last things they wanted to hear, but also the most comforting thing to hear from dad was, you are a good kid. And that sense of belief was kind of like a, this is not, I would go in, this is not who you are, and I know it. Not as a pressure or as an expectation, but as a matter of fact. I know who you are, and this is not who you are. You are a good kid. Now, I'm about to end your life. (laughs) 
Yeah, so the other part came too. <laughs> you were just talking about how good I am. You are wonderful, and we're going to make sure you stay that way. God has a way of speaking over our life to say, you're better than that. Not in a better than that, like I am so disappointed and so angry at you, a better than that, you're better than that because of who who I have made you to be and because of, of what I know that I have put in you. Because the reality is you have been created with value. Every individual on this planet has an intrinsic value. It's already in there. It doesn't matter their performance. It doesn't matter whether they're living life right or wrong in that moment. There is value in there. Now they have to do something with that value, but it's in there. And the reason it's in there is because they're created in the image of God. God has already put the goods in there. The problem is we have this sinful nature and we're broken and we're running from God and we need to repent and go back to him. But the value is in there. And I know when I'm sharing Jesus with someone, one of the things I already know in my own heart is they already have value. Jesus already has paid uh, for their life with his precious blood. Like there already is so much value in that person. We just want to see it come to fruition. Let it come out. The way that the Lord communicates this value over our life, 1 Peter 2.9 describes it. It says, but you, talking about you, believers in Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think there's some people in this room that before you go to work on Monday, you need to read this verse. Because in your own heart, the way you see yourself going into your workplace, the way you see yourself going out into the world is not the way that he sees you. But... There is something very precious and important about you and who you are. And sometimes we need to hear it so we can live up to it. And I don't mean that as a weird pressure. I mean that as an inspiration. Like I have this precious relationship with a a mighty God who saved my soul and he calls me a royal priesthood. Maybe I should hold up my head high. Not out of arrogance, but out of the confidence that I am his. Maybe you need to hear that today and maybe your internal dialogue, your internal critic sounds very different than your father's voice. One of the faith things that we learn to walk in in life is to recognize the difference between what the devil says about you, what your mind says about you, and what God says about you. It's almost like tuning in to the right station. One of the best ways to tune in to the right station is to get more of his word in you, more time with the Lord in you, so that we distinguish what he's actually saying versus what we're saying versus what the enemy is saying. And then you have that whole other category of what other people think. But you know, other, what other people think is just like armpits, just like uh, opinions, right? Everybody's got them and they all stink. Most of them stink. Elizabeth does not, do not stink. They're like rose petals. A little lying in the pulpit today. 
now our urging can go, can go too far. We urge our children to live lives worthy of the Lord. And it can actually become an undue pressure. It talks about this in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and the instruction of the Lord. And I think what Paul is recognizing in Ephesians is fathers have an authority and they tell their kids what to do and things like that. And, and there's nothing wrong or inappropriate with that. But you can take that authority so far that you exasperate your children. And in this warning, don't exasperate. Don't let your urging push them over the edge. Don't let it anger or embitter them or, or drive them too far. It's an important guardrail to know that you can go too far. Sometimes what happens is, and, and I don't think we do this intentionally, but we need to recognize when we're doing it as parents. We'll attach our own aspiration or our own personal value out of the, on the performance of our child. Can I say that to you again? We'll, we'll put our aspirations, our hopes on our children. We'll put our personal value on their performance. And that's super unhealthy. That's not helping your child because they need to know that you love them beyond their performance. They need to know that you care about them even when they're messing up because they need to know that your love is not being removed from them. What happens is if when, we, when we have this unhealthy behavior, our children can learn to perform for love. And God doesn't want you to perform for love. He didn't, he didn't die for us because we performed for him. He died for us because we needed him. And we needed, we needed his mercy and his grace. He died for us because he already did love us. And maybe in our own lives, what we have to do is we have to learn about that unconditional love for ourselves so that we can then portray it to our children as well. And that's hard as a parent because you want your children to perform well from a stewardship standpoint, but not from an acceptance and a love standpoint. And this stuff is not simple. It takes the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and there's a spirit in which we do things that makes the impact on our children. And you've got the fact that our kids are different. Some children are super sensitive, and you've got to be really careful about like, how you bring them along and how you correct them. And other children, they just need to be just told flat, and they're like, okay, I got it. And if you soften it up for them, they're like, what are you getting at? The reality is our kids are different. And we have to have wisdom on how to interact with each one. But here's the thing. Mom, dad, please hear this today. God's anointing and empowerment is on you to be a parent. And his wisdom to be a good parent is available to you. Because he loves your child so much, he will give you whatever you ask for to parent that child well because he loves your child. That's why the, the, the promise in James, if any of you lacks wisdom to ask for him and he will give it to you, it's because he knows that if you're asking for wisdom, it's going to be a blessing to you and to others. God is not going to withhold his wisdom from you. He wants it for you. He wants it for your kids. But we have to ask him and we have to seek him. And what I love about that is God draws us closer to him in the midst of that. We experience more of who he is and grow more ourselves as we seek him for wisdom for our own children. One of the hardest things that we 
we do as parents is allow our kids to make mistakes. And honestly, the older they get, the more we learn that. If you've raised a a teenager, one of the challenges in the teenage years is we as parents are switching from um, a lot of decision-making for them to they are naturally beginning to learn their own autonomy. And parents, we want our teenagers to learn autonomy. Otherwise, when they're 30, they're going to still be there (laughs) in an inappropriate way. Nothing wrong with 30-year-olds living with their parents. Um, Be careful. Be like... Get some text later today. I love my baby living in my house. It's great. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it. My kids lived in the house long enough to, to pay off everything, and it was really smart. Um, but one of the hardest things is to allow them to make mistakes and know when it's time to loosen the boundaries so they can make their own mistakes. Because here's the thing. If you're too tight with your kids, you'll embitter them. And their rebellion will get really ugly really quick because it'll be just like a slingshot, just like now is my time because they're going to get their time to make mistakes. Does that make sense? We all get our opportunity. Let's look at the mirror. We've all made our mistakes, right? The question is, how do we want those mistakes to work, right? Too loose and our children run wild and make mistakes that they end up paying for for all their lives. And so learning the tension of that is not a science, it's an art, and it's in our relationship with the Lord. A boundary, a boundary less child will be insecure, running wild. A, a controlled child is an angry child who finds a way to assert their, their autonomy one way or another. And so we have to have wisdom in how to create this relationship with our kids and wisdom to have those boundaries where they need to be. And the story that reminds me of all of those figuring out boundaries. and The reality is it's not static, right? It changes in seasons of their lives and things like that. It reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, prodigal means wasteful, the wasteful son. It's a, a parable is a story that Jesus would tell in the New Testament to make a point. Um, the story always connected with the culture of the day, but it always had this kind of wait what moment, kind of like a joke has a wait what moment, Uh, A parable had a wait what moment. This parable is found in Luke chapter 15. And here the adult son, the prodigal son or wasteful son, says to his dad, I want my inheritance now. I'm out of here. And basically it's kind of like the, you know, saying you want your inheritance is like saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I want the money and I want to go live my life now. And so that was kind of like a (gasps) moment in the the story as Jesus is telling this, this story. And the father allows his adult son to take the money and to go off and to live his own life. And it's a picture of what our lives look like like when we do life on our own. When we don't follow the Lord, it's like, you know what? You gave me this life. You gave me these gifts. You've given me all this. And now I'm just going to go live my life on my own. And we've all done that. Amen? We're not talking about other people. We're talking about us. And... um, when we do that, we disrespect our creator. And we say, give me my portion and let me live my own life. In the parable, what happens is the son spends all the money on wild living. And yes, the scripture says on wild living. That's in your Bible. Yikes. Um, I don't want any details on that. (laughs) Then in the story, a famine hits and the son has to hire himself out to a man. And the the man has this, this guy feed the pigs. 
And so, if you will, the sun hits bottom. He's lost it all. He's feeding pigs. And he realizes that his father's servants have it better than him. His father's servants have it better than him. And so this is what he thinks in Luke 15, verse 18. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the the son thinks, you know what? I would rather go back to my dad and be one of his servants. He has no expectation that he's going to be restored to the place of son. But he knows his dad well enough. He knows the nature of his dad. He's like, my dad's servants have it better than me and what I have taking my life into my own hands. And so the son says, that's my plan. I'm going to go back. And this is where the wait what moment happens in this parable. In verse 20, it says, So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I want to tell you, that is every one of our stories who've given our hearts to Jesus Christ. We are that son who took life into our own hands, and then we turned back to him. And his response to us was not reluctant. It wasn't slow. It wasn't wishy-washy. It wasn't, well, let me put you in time out for a few minutes. I want you to really think about what you've done. No, it says that the father ran to the son and threw his arms around him. And the son said, and I love the son's disposition, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you know what? He was right on. He wasn't worthy. He had sin. And what I love is in this story, the father doesn't go, I told you so. I mean, if there was an I told you so moment, it was now. The brother, go read this scripture this week. The brother was like, hmm, right? Like he was, the older brother had a really bad attitude about all of this. But the father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Not the lean calf, the fatted calf. Come on, right, Kevin? Let's throw, I mean, <laughs> Kevin's our cook. He knows what, he's like, there needs to be something in it. Let us have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father threw a party for the son who repented. And the reason he felt he threw a party is because the father felt joy. When you feel joy, you want to have a party. He wasn't joyful about all the things that his son had done. He was joyful that his son was restored. And he didn't restore him as a servant. That's all the son expected. Just make me a servant. And here's the thing. God the Father is not looking to just make you his servant. He is looking to adopt you as his child to make you fully his. That He owns you, that you are his child. He wants all of you. He's not just looking for your service. He's looking for your heart. Because he loves you and he created you. And he's a good father. He is the standard of father. We all, dads, we all fall short of the heavenly father.
We all fall short. A good father rejoices in a child's repentance, running to the child and not shaming the child. See, we have to be careful because the enemy will speak to your kid just like he speaks to you and create shame and disgrace and dishonor. And God doesn't want us to carry that. Jesus took our shame to the cross. That's how our Heavenly Father responds to our repentance. Not remorse. Now, remorse is different than repentance. Remorse is, I just feel bad about the consequences. I feel bad that I got caught. As parents, we've had to negotiate that. Are you sorry or are you sorry you got caught? Are you sorry or are you sorry you're about to get in trouble? Right? Repentance has to do with a change of heart and a change of mind that says, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to turn away from that and I want to, to, to um, have things right. And a good father rejoices and receives their child's repentance. And you know what? A good father is willing to sacrifice for their children. A good father makes sacrifices to provide for their children. Um, the need and the desire to provide um, is natural within a husband, within a father. Um, a father's love drives them to make sacrifices for their kids. And our Heavenly Father, our only perfect Father, exemplifies this with the ultimate sacrifice. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The Father didn't look at us and go, well, fine, I'll turn my back on you as well. He's never done that to us. He's, he has created a plan of salvation that if we will respond to Him, He will save our lives. But he will not force us, just like the prodigal son. He will not force you to serve him. He will not force you to trust him because he wants it to be authentic and real in your lives. And I think many of us in this room, we've come to a point in our lives somewhere where we realized, we, we said, you know what? Having the reins in my own hands is not working. And it's not producing what it should produce in my life. And actually being in control of my own life is overrated. And if you've, maybe you've come to that place in your own life where you realize that having the reins in your own hand is not worth it and you're ready to run back to the Father and just say, restore me to whatever you want to restore me. I just want to tell you that the Father will receive you today. We repent of our sins. We say, God, I am sorry for doing things my own way. Yes, yeah, sin was pleasurable in the moment, but it's created destruction in my life. I want to follow after you, and I want to know you. I just want to encourage you today. Maybe you haven't made that decision in your life. Maybe you've only been in the ascent column where, yeah, I believe that you're there, but I haven't actually put my trust in my life in your hands. I want to tell you that today, June the, is it the 18th? June the 18th, 2023 is a good day to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm running from the old life and I want to follow you in all that means. And I want to tell you that he will adopt you as a child. He will make you fully his. He's not going to hold your past over your head. He's not going to shame you. He's going to walk with you as a father walks with a child because he loves you. He already does love you. 
but you've got to make a decision to receive it in your own life. If that's you today, before you leave this place on Father's Day 2023, I want you to come talk to me and I want to pray with you today because following Jesus is the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. If you're online today and you're like, I need to make that decision, just go to our website, victorychristian.church and then you click on next steps and you just fill out the little form and I'll give you a call and I'll reach out to you and we'll talk, amen? Would you stand with me today? I want to close in prayer today and um, today... um, If today is not an easy day for you, I don't want you to feel shame for that. I want you to recognize that uh, we live in a broken world and God knows what you're walking through. Maybe today you could use a little bit of prayer. You know, the, the feelings are complicated today and what you're walking through today is complicated. And if that's you at the close of my prayer, just slip up front. One of our folks in the prayer team would love to pray with you. You don't have to get deep into your business, but we would love to just pray with you and pray for you because God wants to encourage you today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We worship you and we thank you that you're a good father. You are the standard. We thank you that you're a God who speaks life. We thank you that you're a God who comforts. Thank you for being a God who urges us towards the right things. Thank you for being a God who restores us. Thank you for being a God who's made the the greatest sacrifices for us. Lord, we are convinced you love us. And today we just say, we love you back. We thank you for being a good father. For us dads who are in the room today, we just say, Lord, we fall short and we ask for your help. Help us to be good dads in every season. Give us unique wisdom for each of our children. Encourage us even as we encourage our children. And God, mold us into the dads you want to be, us to be. And Lord, for those who maybe they've had broken relationship with their children, Lord, you said you would turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. So we just say, Lord, the story's not over. And we ask God that you would do a work in our hearts. And that you would restore fathers and sons and sons and fathers. We ask you to do the same. Children to their, both their parents, Father. Mom and dad. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for family. And we thank you that you are the creator of family. The restorer of family. The healer of family. We trust you today. Lord, for those today, they need to hear those words of affirmation. That you're proud of them. That you believe in them. That you're not walking around with a list of all the things that are wrong with them. But God, that you have hope and promise for their lives. We love you and we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.